It's time to wake up and step up. The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong. The Sustainable Hour. We at the Sustainable Hour would like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wathaurong people. We pay tribute to the elders, past, present, and those that will earn that honour in the future. We acknowledge that we're broadcasting from stolen land, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There's lots of discussion around at the moment about the voice and we wholeheartedly support the yes vote on that while acknowledging the group of Aboriginal people who are against it because they are sick and tired of being lied to, broken promises, deaths in custody, etc, etc, etc. That must be acknowledged. We here believe that we have a responsibility to progress this. The media is not telling us the truth about just how grave the situation is. The media is part of maintaining business as usual. So what do people do when we can't rely on the media to truthfully, honestly, effectively communicate the crisis? Well, people have to use, use other means to, to catch people's attention. We're going to see more and more of that, but also that's not the only way to escalate. I think there's moral justification for doing whatever it takes to, to stop the machines, the infrastructure, which is producing fossil fuels and emitting carbon, as a moral justification for, for stopping that by whatever tactics work, because ultimately that infrastructure is fossil fuel production is people die. It's murder mediated through the atmosphere, the construction of new infrastructure, knowing full well what those carbon emissions are going to do. It's murder. And, you know, what do people do to stop murder? <laughs> I think we, we all agree that if a house is on fire, it's completely justified to, to break down the doors, smash the windows in order to, to get someone out of there. I think we can use the same logic for the fossil fuel industry. This is infrastructure which is killing people and we need to stop it. And if governments won't stop it, the industry itself won't stop it, then it's left to the people to stop it. Let's get to some breaking news now. An activist is right now blocking a coal terminal at the port of Newcastle. One blockade Australia protester is suspended from a rail bridge, shutting down the coal rail line. Blockade Australia says it's in response to Australia's destruction of the global climate. This was how it sounded in Nine News this Monday morning, and it was happening all over Australia in the major cities on Monday. Uh, a major campaign is rolling out. And what we heard before was a filmmaker in Britain, uh, when he was out protesting, his name is Rick Felgate, and he was interviewed by Simon Moore, who is doing a climactic podcast. The climactic podcast is back. Uh, murder mediated through the atmosphere. Is that how we should talk about climate change? Bill McKibben said, we no longer need to burn stuff, so we should stop. 
But the thing is, we are not stopping. The Australia Institute is out with an article this week showing that we are headed on the wrong path. We have a climate minister who says he was here in Geelong telling us that we have only 80 months now to decarbonize the Australian economy. That was a month ago. So that's 79 months that we have left now. And our emissions are going up when they should be reduced with 43%. And according to the Climate Council, with 75%. Janis Pochuknik from the International Resource Panel said, the future will be circular, the future will be green, or there will be no future. And I think that's the starting point of the Sustainable Hour today, that yes, we need to stop things, but we also need to build something new. First, let's hear a bit more about news from around the world. Colin, Market, OAM, what do you have for us today? Thank you, Mick. Um, my roundup this week is dominated by one meeting, really. Um, but I'll start, if I can, with the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. So he was speaking in New York about the COP lead-in conference at Bonn in Germany, which went on all of last week and finished at the weekend, and it failed to reach a positive conclusion. The delegates in Bonn had spent eight of their nine days arguing about what will be on the agenda when they meet at COP28 in the UAE in October. Now, in his typically blunt manner, Antonio was scathing about the lack of resolve shown in the pre-conference. The idea of getting all of the delegates together was to put together a schedule of ways of reducing carbon emissions. Instead, they spent all the time arguing about what was actually going to be on the agenda when they meet. And Antonio said, I see a lack of ambition, a lack of trust, a lack of support, a lack of cooperation, and an abundance of problems around clarity and credibility. Countries are far off track in meeting climate promises and commitments. The climate agenda is being undermined. At a time when we should be accelerating action, there is backtracking. At a time when we should be filling gaps, those gaps are growing. And it wasn't just the Secretary General who was scathing. The Pakistani co-chair of the talks in Bonn, his name's Nabil Manur, was doubly so. He voiced his disgust towards the end of a two-hour open session at the ending of the conference when he told negotiators that they were like a class of primary school children and noted that 33 million Pakistanis had been hit by floods last year and were still affected. A third of my country is underwater and I have to go back and tell my people that we were fighting over an agenda for two weeks. Come on, he said, is this worth it? To applause from a majority of the 8,000 delegates. There were 8,000 delegates in Bonn arguing about the agenda that's coming up in October when they should have been sorting out the climate change agenda. 
Now, as the bond talk stalled, wildfires attributed to climate change were still burning in Canada, and the smoke was shrouding most of North America. And the news came from Europe, from Paris, that the new high temperature records were being set across the Northern Hemisphere, and record low sea ice coverage was being recorded in the Antarctic. It's not as if they weren't getting reminders in Bonn of what they were supposed to be talking about. And the failure of the Bonn talks reflected a deepening gulf at the center of world climate negotiations. In simple terms, the developed world, which has largely caused climate change and is very well funded by fossil fuel industries, is struggling to keep the focus on commitments from nations to reduce emissions. Meanwhile, the developing world, which is bearing the brunt of climate change impacts, is demanding action. Action now. Plus, they want wealthy nations to not only finance the world's transition from fossil fuels, they also want them to pay for adapting for a warmer world and pay for the damage repair that we're already uh, suffering. That divide essentially paralyzed the bond talks, leaving many observers despondent. And this is the Climate Council researchers who are reporting on it. Compounding that despondency was the passive role played in the, at the talks by the host of the coming upcoming COP talk. That's Sultan Al Jaba who is both a government minister and the chief executive of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. His appointment as COP28 president has prompted widespread protests around the world. A group of 128 United States and European Union representatives signed a letter to the US President Joe Biden, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, and Antonio Guterres voicing their concerns that Al Jabbar's role showed that the UN had allowed the fossil fuel sector to exert undue influence over climate talks. Antonio Guterres famously said that the global fossil fuel industry was not part of the climate change problem. He said it was the problem. And that was reinforced by an article in the Saturday paper at the weekend, which named Australia's Albanese government as a champion greenwasher. It said that Australia was negotiating to hold a future round of COP talks while it was maintaining its role as a major fossil fuel exporter and working hand in glove with the gas industry. And the Saturday paper is an Australian paper, I should point out. And my final quote comes from the last speech at the pre-COP conference in Bonn, when UN Climate Change Executive Secretary Simon Steele said that arriving at an agenda was precious little to celebrate from nearly 10 days of negotiations from 8,000 delegates. It's time to stop pointing fingers at each other and saying that your end of the lifeboat is sinking, he said. If it goes down, we all go down together. And that is a suitable ending for what is probably my grimmest of global roundups for the week. 
Listen to our Sustainable Hour for the future. Right, to our guests for today. First of all, we've got Dr Millie Rooney. Millie is the co-director of Australia Remade. She's a social scientist with a passion for creating strong communities based around shared purpose and the public good. So, Millie, thanks for what you're doing and welcome to the Sustainable Hour for today. Thanks, Tony. I feel like that's a bit of a hard act to follow, Colin, like doom, gloom, everything's terrible, there's money against us, the forces against us. Oh, come on, Millie, have a say. So, um, Thank you for setting it up for me like that. Yeah, come on, Millie, cheer us up. Yeah, that's right. Look, look. actually, in all honesty, I actually think that's one of the roles of the work that I do and Australia Remade. And I, I don't mean that in a blasé, Pollyanna, well, I'll be fine if we just think hopeful thoughts. I mean hope as a strategy. Um, so as, as Tony said, I'm the co-director for Australia Remade and we're an organisation that came together a few years ago now, uh, made from civil society organisations ac- across a really broad range of issues, so not just environment, social justice issues, unions, etc. And the question this group asked themselves, uh, remembering this was around the time just before Trump got elected or just after, so like quite an intense time, Abbott years, uh, saying, you know, we're really good at saying no. You know, we know what we don't want, uh, but we're not very good collectively at saying yes. And so what does it look like for us as a nation to say yes to something rather than just no? And what was fascinating to me as I joined that group was that this was something we're not practised at. And we're not very good at saying, putting down on paper what we want when it when it's a, a strong yes rather than a no. So, This group came together of civil society leaders to ask, well, what is it we want? And also, what is our understanding about the structural change that has to happen to get to where we want to go? So looking at both vision and power. Um, Fast forwarding a few years. So as a social scientist, I got to go and listen to people around the country talk about their shared vision. And I have to say, it's an extraordinary process and it's an extraordinarily powerful question to ask a group before you hit them with the hard stuff. What do you want? What do we want? And we are so unpracticed at that. And I think we need to get better. Strategically, it's a really important piece of of winning. Um, So we've got the nine pillars of Australia Remade. You can have a look at them on our website. But if you need just a little bit of a boost about, you know, where we're going or where people would like us to go as a country, I, I recommend having a look. And then, you know, I can get into this later, but more recently the work we've been doing is saying, well, what does a public good mean for us? What does it look like to rather than align the country with GDP and, and economic growth and fossil fuel industry, what does it look like if we realign it to a different purpose? Um, and we did some research around that. Again, a lot of listening to people uh, and found that people are really keen for the opportunity to care and be cared for, to connect with each other and to contribute locally and nationally. And I think that piece there, contribute, is a really important piece asking how do we as a as individuals as communities and as the institutions of the state how do we help people genuinely contribute to to shifting this country to where it needs to go um and just finally a project i'm working on at the moment is is trying to walk this line between disaster and love basically disaster and hope and we're particularly looking to talk to people in regional victoria but everyone's welcome to participate And it says, if care is a public good that we know we want, 
What does it look like to care for each other before, during and after disaster? And what does that look like to say, you know, preemptive disaster care is climate action. Um, it's also how, you know, the preventative healthcare model is you can prevent through a disaster at the same time. You know, you don't have to say the disasters happen too late. We can keep on that prevention line. Um, so I, I, I was thinking, you said something before, one of you, that made me think, yeah, we, disruption is this, is an opportunity. We're already being disrupted. Um, but how do we walk that line between delight and fright? You know, how do we use uh, hope and love and delight and joy as that portal to paradise rather than disaster? And, you know, I, I do think that part of my role and part of the Australia Remade role is to be really practical hope holders and say, yes, it's scary. Yes, it's terrifying. Yes, we need action right now. And we can do it together and life could be better. Um, and and that is not just that, you know, I, I know I'm the only female voice on this show. That's not a gendered, wouldn't it be nice if we loved each other? We need that because that is the power. That is half of the power that we need. And look, Millie, um, we're in a, a really odd situation in the 21st century in that we are being manipulated daily. When we walk into a shopping centre or a supermarket, there have been psychologists who have been there before us and they've said, put this colourful thing in this package in this position and people will buy it. We're being manipulated incredibly throughout our entire lives by every news broadcast, by every non-news broadcast. It all I mean, people pay placement to put something in the background of a footballer who's talking. Mm. But... How do we then use that sort of industry to change everybody onto what is an agenda that's going to do every single person of us good? How do we change people's impetus? Because we're all going in the wrong direction. Um, there are two items that I saw earlier on this week. Uh, number one, the people were complaining about the government, the Victorian government, unable to get a bill passed which is going to stop new homes from having gas connections. And at the same time, they're saying that we should be stopping advertising gas stoves. But we all know that our, our media these days, our print media, is full of Harvey Norman adverts and full of selling us gas stoves. And we're actually buying more gas stoves now than we are taking out. I'm sorry, look, Matt, you have something to say as well before we even get round to Millie talking on, on what I've said. Go on, Matt. This is uh, Matt Bray. Hi. Well, before I get introduced, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a little insight. Um, the marketing landscape is changing. I, there's a lot of hope that uh, people in the advertising game, uh, there's a big growing groundswell of people in that industry that uh, looking to push back, looking to go, we know uh, how manipulative um, advertising and marketing and PR is and a big player in this game about supporting the fossil fuel industry and just consumption in general. And I think there's hope that we will be able to get uh, messaging out there, uh, basically accountability for marketing that does damage, like for example, our fossil, the fossil ad ban campaign I'm running as part of Comms Declare, and there's some really good talent in that space 
that are looking to say, okay, this is not right. How do we communicate better? Uh, but the, the really the nuts and bolts of it is, is it's underfunded to get that reach that's required. Uh, so there's challenges, but I think there's a lot of hope that there, we can clean up that space um, but you know, we, we're chasing our tails because we're 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 behind. We're we're very behind. Have a listen here to uh, what Jennifer Rayner said. She's from the Climate Council when they launched a new campaign, which is very much in the same space. The burning of coal, oil, and gas is fueling the climate crisis, and we've already seen that playing havoc with our beloved national pastimes from extreme heat stopping play at the tennis to music festivals being washed out by wild weather and bushfires threatening our cultural heritage, to name just a few examples. Yet at the same time, the fossil fuel companies that are fueling this climate chaos are still slapping their logos all over our beloved sports teams, our galleries and our major public events. This needs to stop. So today, the Climate Council is launching Calling Time, our fossil fuel-free sponsorship code. Yes, well, we did that with tobacco, didn't we? Yes, and what does that look like locally? That That's when I uh, attend a, a soccer match on Saturday, watching teenage girls play, and on their T-shirts with very big letters is Viva Energy, the biggest sponsor of one of our local football clubs, near Viva, of course. That's just one example of many. The way that uh, the cats are involved with the fossil fuel industry, it's like, you know, it's it's all over. And I think, as you say, Matt, the good news here is that institutions such as the climate councils are now beginning to tell the truth and to tackle it. It all begins with that we understand what's going on and that we get the word out, doesn't it? Millie, I would love to play a short clip of a video that I saw on your website. It's just two minutes. And I think it lays out that vision that you have in a very poetic and beautiful way about an Australia that's remade. Imagine waking up in the country of your dreams. What's it like, this place? What does it look like? Feel like? Because we've been through an awful lot lately. It's time to ask, who are we now? What do we want for ourselves, for our future, our families, our whole country? What do we want to see more of in the world? What sort of legacy do we want to leave? power 
our own ideas. We get to ask, to challenge, to renegotiate. Dreaming itself propels us forward. We get to focus on what do we want, not just what we don't want. And when we do, we realise that deep down, we all basically want the same things. This country we dream of is ordinary paradise. It's entirely possible, common sense even. We start by naming it in order to remake it. And the video ends with saying, dream big, start here. Millie, what kind of feelings do you get when you watch your own video here? Oh, it's, I haven't watched it for a while, actually. So it's, it's nice to, to revisit it. I mean, I think for me, it, though, watching that is a reminder that this isn't just a brainiac exercise. This is not about facts and figures and people far away negotiating, although there's real power in that, obviously, to shape our lives. Like this is this is real. This is material for me. And so I guess a lot of my work is about saying, well, how do we connect these big ideas like power and climate change to that heart of how do we what does it how does it make us feel? Like I'm scared a lot of the time. You know, I live near a lot of bush. We're going to burn in the next five years, year maybe. Um, I'm I'm scared. But I think part of that dreaming is also, you know, maybe maybe climate change is going to steal my future, but I'm damn well not going to let it steal the present. And I think part of it is why are we here? Why are we doing I'm not. I don't get up every morning and think, damn, I haven't yet brought down neoliberalism and the fossil fuel order. You know, I, I fail at my job every day because none of us can do that individually right. So it has to be for those reasons of, of love and possibility and why are we doing it? I'm not doing this so that we have another, you know, fossil fuel order of power except renewables. I want to see us, I want to, I want to I remake the world so that we're equal and safe, all of us. So I think it's about how do we win on what we really want? Why are we doing this? It's it's for every all of these other ideas that connect us. I believe we all came to be here for a reason. To acknowledge the seniors, everything has a season. This season is warm, but it's bringing a storm and a burning urge for our journey to transform. But held in our hand at this grave intersection is a map of the passage for a clearer direction to a permanent culture. It's time we began it with some wise design to realign with the planet, share skills to rebuild our combined reliance, and with wild guidance redesign our diet, befriend energy descent and the change in climate, to grow forests of food and a finer environment. Huh.
permaculture at this tumultuous juncture is a superstructure that can plug the puncture in a society of anxiety confusion and greed this really may be one solution we need to bring back our elementary essence of ethics and walk in earth care people care fair share epic now's the time to embed it while the temperature's tepid let us rise as a choir beside the people who get it to guarantee that our future generations lives are provided the conditions they require to thrive instead of being deprived of the tools to survive in a biosphere too defiled to revive so we invite you now to amplify the synergy devise an inspired distinctive soliloquy combining with like minds an adaptable symphony of radical simplicity balance and symmetry whatever your ability we need your assistance in aid of reclaiming a stable existence go summon your gift to this critical hour and deliver wherever they move and empower Millie, is there any community that you're aware of that gives you hope? Oh, yeah, heaps. I mean, Gloucester in um, New South Wales, fantastic example of a community that fought off coal seam gas and a coal mine and that recognised that that was a divisive process. And actually we had the luxury of, of working with them doing an Australia-made sort of themed event that said, you know, we've fought for so long and it's created divides. Why are we here? So that's an amazingly powerful community going on. I mean, I think it's pretty well known, but, you know, watching communities like the Northern Rivers communities deal with the floods and the climate crises, you know, there's stories of real pain and, and horror and, you know, as Rebecca Solnit talks about, you know, disaster is the portal to paradise. They're communities that are learning what, what they have and what they don't have and how we're letting them down. Um, so, I mean, I think there's lots of examples all around the place, yeah. Have you heard of the real deal concept? So there's that's focuses on communities that are reliant on fossil fuels. And I guess the, uh, the theory behind that is they work with the hard ones and then mm. the easy ones will fall into place. Mm. And it's there was a, a training for that in Geelong on the weekend and it's just just the incredible depth of uh, and width of the community that were present. I've never been part of anything like that before. People from all sorts of backgrounds. One area we acknowledged was that we were very white, and that's that's one of the areas that we're going to have to to look towards. And rather than asking, inviting them in, actually go to them. And I, I'm I'm sure that that's part of your remit. Is that you in- actively engage with communities, but go to them. I got such a buzz out of that. If you're doing this full time, it must be incredible for you to be part of this. Yeah, I th- and I think there's lots of people, you know, Amanda Carl with The Next Economy is doing really similar work in Queensland around, you know, a lot of fossil fuel communities in that transition. And, I mean, I think there is such a luxury. in. I, I encourage you and all the listeners to, to have a go next time you're feeling cranky or, or ranty or, you know, want to explain how terrible everything is to people. Just pause for a moment and just say, hey, if you could wake up in the Australia of your dreams tomorrow, what would it look like? What would it smell like? What would it be like? And I can almost guarantee you that the potential and receptiveness of people to think differently is going to shift, like to have an experiment and see what happens to the energy in the room because, you know, it's such a 
it's it's such a delicate joy to hear what people want like what a precious thing and for people to feel heard I think that's a really key piece of this work that you know the real deal and other community work being done is so often as researchers or as change makers we go in and we mine people we extract ideas we extract perspectives and we're just doing exactly what the fossil fuel companies do you know mine burn for profit um and so that process of listening and saying hey did you just say this wow you know that being and i think that's that's about democracy that's a practice of democracy that's a modeling of democracy that we want so Absolutely, and that's been stolen from us by the same psychopaths that we, we referred to earlier. There are, it is psychopathic behaviour if you look at it in that the true definition of that term is that they don't care what happens as long as they make money. This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. At the heart of this conflict is a battle between truth and science and power and lies. Appleton Dock in Nam, otherwise known as Melbourne. It's a major economic pinch point of a system we call Australia. This is why we're targeting it. There's two other actions happening in Australia right now. So there's three actions happening around so-called Australia, and this is just one of them from Nam. So uh, my name's Brad, and I'm taking action with Blockade Australia. Now it's a nice balmy morning here in Nam. You probably can't see my banner, but my banner simply says hope lies in a culture of resistance. And that sums up where I'm at, because it's the only place I can find hope, is in frontline direct action and building a large, a large resistance movement. And the first member of Vic Paul to engage with me this morning said, 
What can I do to get you down from up there? Because I'm up a nine metre monopole. As you can see, I'm quite high off the ground. I said, I'll tell you what you can do. There's one thing that will guarantee that I come down. If you can show me where the hope is, anywhere other than what I'm doing right now, I'll get on my eight and I'll be on the ground within a minute. I can guarantee you that. Uh, hence, he couldn't show me where the hope was because we know there is no hope. All deep thinking, rational people who understand the severity of the crisis we're in and how fast that window of opportunity is closing in front of us know that there's no hope in this system. This system is designed to extract and exploit and that's what it's done with a callous disregard for human life from the moment it arrived on this continent. And no one knows that more than the first people of this land. And everyone else is just about to discover it. As we see ecosystems collapsing all around us. 19 ecosystems in Australia alone are showing the early signs of collapse. There was a study published over 12 months ago put together by 23 different universities. Now those ecosystems collapse and societal collapse will follow. That's guaranteed. Yeah, and there's three actions that happened on Monday in, uh, in Australia. So, and, and they're combining with or connecting with actions that are happening all over the world now where people are saying, uh, taking the advice of the person that uh, was at the start of today's show talking about nonviolent direct action. The longer it takes to get the changes, unfortunately, history shows that that won't be nonviolent. And we've yep. got to do everything we can to, to protect ourselves from that. So, Matt, welcome. Matt from Art Disrupt. We've been talking lots of talk about disruption. Tell us about your way, how you, you do it and how you encourage other people to do it. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, so I have been just a little bit of a background on what I'm currently doing. I've been in this space for about three years with a 15-year background in advertising and now I have been on my journey to to find out how can I use these skills that I've learned over those 15 years to, in a, in a way, take down the advertising industry because the majority of it is around consumption that the, and we've known for a long time that the planet cannot sustain. So there's some accountability that needs to be held there. Uh, so through my work with Art Disrupt, over the last three years, I've, I've think I've landed in where I, I fit. And for my next, uh, the process I'm going through at the moment is like, okay, how can I sustain this model that I've kind of created and, and have impact and, and connect? So my current project as uh, Disrupt is a personal uh, funded project to Look at the gas, the fossil gas industry. Uh, there was talks, and it's something I've seen over the last few years, this the shift in kind of the narrative to where the fossil fuel industry was like, okay, we need to close them down. And the fossil gas industry is starting to frame themselves as we're the transition ones. We're the ones that are on your on the side of the green movement to, to make it. This is how we get there using gas. 
that has been seeded for the last couple of years. And I want to try and have my, I'm having a swing to, to get some accountability there. And the way I'm looking at it is they're not paying enough for what they do any, anyway. We need to reduce the amount of reuse of, of fossil fuels anyway, but in the interim, they should pay more definitely for what they do because they have uh, getting super profits and really stripping Australia of all their resources. But the community really thinks that, oh, no, they're the transition fuel. You know, they're doing green stuff. So I'm having a crack at them. Uh, and out the back of that, I will be establishing myself as available to collaborate with organisations like Australia Remade. I think we should have have a chat. I've got some lovely ideas that I'd love to tuck around with Millie. But my focus is in, in marketing and how we can be effective to change that that story to where you know get some truth in what we're talking in marketing. But my other passion. Uh, which aligns a lot with what Millie is saying is community re resilience. It's it's such an important thing that we need to help communities understand what they can do to be safe before the shit hit, hits the fan, basically. And when it does, you see communities coming together, helping each other out. But all communities are going to need to have some kind of like connection that can react to adversity cost of living crisis. We see a lot of people can't afford to eat. I, I you know, I volunteer at, at food banks and you can see the amount of need that is out there. And you, you can see that, that gap widening when you see somebody that delivers for Uber Eats having to get food from a food bank. You just see that gap that is widening between the haves and the have-nots. And being a person on the side of the haves, I, you know, I, I'm pretty safe and with what I'm doing, but I acknowledge that it's the result of injustices, you know, the privilege I have and living in a pretty, you know, nice, comfortable life is because of a capitalist system that has allowed that to happen through me using my skills. So that's where I live. I want to be the, the connector, collaborator and give I feel I have good ideas that will have impact. So that's what where I want to live in, the, in that space. One of the things that I uh, see as very positive is that there's people like you and Millie out there trying to change things. Now, Millie, did you have a comment? Oh, yeah, it's just, just jumping off what Matt was saying about, you know, people accessing food bank and disaster resilient, you know, prepping before disaster. I think this is so essential and what I was partly saying before is when we're rethinking the fossil fuel order and when we're transitioning away from that, you know, no one has any capacity to think about that if you're struggling for food or don't have your basic needs met. And so I think that's why while the, you know, the potential for the disaster looming at us is enormous and it's already affecting people significantly the potential for something to grow is also really exciting. And I, I think we need to be cautious about separating the issues out too much um, because fundamentally we're talking about how do humans and the rest of the world thrive. And so, yeah, I, I think it's really exciting what you're talking about, Matt. I'd, I'd like to add something there too, and that is that um, uh, the fossil fuel industry in the persona, if you like, of OPEC 
Saudi Arabia, Russia. They are not only the people who are making squillions of dollars out of every time everybody put, fills their tanks with petrol. They're also rogue nations that are causing all kinds of difficulties. They can murder people in other nations and then deny them and get away with it and, and use their money to wash all of their misdeeds. And we would be so much better off without them. And if we can starve them of money by driving electric cars and not filling up our cars with fuel, it's a nice way of, of losing, of, of, of not giving them whole lots of power and status. So it's, it's really a win-win-win thing that we're trying to sell our fellow Australians to do and other people in the world. We don't really want to be backing these people. They're not goodies. Matt? Really, at this point in time, I've, I do feel a lot of hope and optimism in, in, a, in a weird way just when you, you have a broader view of what's going on and you can see positive actions. There's so much positive news and, and, you know, we're still, we're behind, but in terms of legal actions being taken against the fossil fuel action industry, actually making a dent in what their, their capabilities of what they can do. A lot of action in Europe where they're like greenwashing actually being banned when a, a couple of years ago, those types of actions would not get up. So there's, there's a, there is pushback on this misinformation and there's progress there. So that's one of the things which is really good to see. And it's all out the back of basically bad governance. When governments aren't acting, there's organisations pulling together and taking legal actions because the governments aren't, you know, doing what they actually should be doing. That's happening on all fronts, Matt, that people are are sick and tired of, yeah, the lies, the corruption, et cetera, and decisions being made without having any input at all. And I'm sure that the work that Millie does is all about empowering communities to, to realise their own individual power. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a, again, I think I've said the word fine line a few times today, but that there's this spectrum, right, of the individual behaviour, so, you know, don't, you know, take your reusable coffee cup, print double-sided, you know, that very individualised carbon footprint stuff, which was, is not unimportant, but important to remember that that was actually a fossil fuel company that had an excellent marketing campaign to make us all feel guilty. You know, then you've got, so there's the individual, then you've got through to the, well, what do we expect the state to do? And I guess, you know, at the UN at a, a global level and those other bigger bodies. And the challenge is how do we bring these together? How do we empower not just individuals but communities, collectives? You know, we're so much more powerful together. How do we empower collectives while at the same time holding the state and our governments accountable to empowering us? Um, and so I think that relationship is really interesting. And and one of the, you know, the list, the reason why we do so much listening is because it's so easy to just talk in hypotheticals and talk in sort of a bit esoteric, academic, ivory tower ways. And when we actually listen to people, I think, one, we hear these real stories and two, the very process of community conversations starts to alert us to 
oh, we all actually are saying the same thing. We're all, oh, actually, if all of us did this and it's about then how does that translate to action and also how does it change to, we talk at Australia, we made about changing the air that we breathe. You know, it was in the video. What What is, how do we just make it common sense? Because that that's the, when things become common sense, you've won. Um, and you can't make things common sense on your own. Um, and I think we saw that, you know, in, with Voices for Indi and then the rise of some of those community independents, regardless of the politics going on in Parliament House, the process was about reinvigorating democracy and that process was about empowering communities to say, oh, we have collective agency. We don't have to sit back and let the fossil fuel companies run our lives. Like we can say no. We, we can withdraw consent from this system and do it safely because we do it together. So there's real people, I think, sometimes think, oh, listening, it's a bit slow. Oh, another talk fest, like blah, blah, blah. But how do humans work? We talk by trust. We talk through, we, we act through trust, through relationships. You know, some famous corporate person said, we move at the speed of trust. And that's, trust takes time to build, but once you've got it, bam, you can go. So I, I think that's a really important piece. Hashtag climate revolution. And I mean, <laughs> I mean here in the sense of, you know, the peaceful climate revolution where, as you say, we become powerful together. And I also love that statement you came with, disaster is the portal to paradise. Uh, I read a blog post on this website, Medium. Paul Abela wrote, and I'll just read a little quote here. Historically, it's only in moments of crisis that the fabric of society has weakened and provided revolutionary groups with the opportunity to redesign society in a different image. It seems the only way any economic transformation will be realized now is if a similar breakdown of law and order presents an opportunity for systems change. Revolution is never desirable, but to have any chance of building a sustainable society, it appears to have become necessary, wrote Paul Abela. Yeah, look, I, I think we should also take on board here, Mick, that revolution is going on around us all the time. I mean, the, the media speaks of the digital revolution. There have been revolutions in the last five years. The Me Too movement was a revolution that changed people's thinking around the world. We've already pointed out the Teal revolution in politics. The fact that our current government got in last May, or the previous May before that, with fewer votes than it got in the election before that. So there's a revolution in politics going on, but we're not talking about them. What we've got to do is to get back to the beginning of our program. We've got to figure out a way of igniting that revolution and, make, and bringing up awareness that the new revolution is one which is cleaner and better living for everybody. The climate is changing, baby, and that is not a sexy topic. Fossil fuel wrapping us in emissions of carbon like the planet's insulated. No joke, no special gimmick. Just set a target and hit it. Get your crib retrofitted. Buildings are 40% of emissions, and 90% of the ones that we live in today are gonna be with us after 2050. So get them insulated. Talk to the council, talk to the landlord. Vote for the politicians who want to invest in it and plan for it. Wrap an apartment building in a jacket, fit it with a heat pump, prefab in the package in a factory. Energy strong, insulated. 
If you need funds, look to the subsidies Private investors are buzzing The people can pay for it monthly Emission cuts If your city is with it, then back your city up If the cuts are big enough Like Ithaca, 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 Ithaca Energy waste and breath. Your furnace is up and your walls are thin and the glaciers are all collapsed. We know what's making it happen and we know what's needed to stop it. And we all just want to help as long as it doesn't affect our wallets. Insulated. Cause none of us feeling the impact. Read up on it academically. Middle class life intact. And really, this is a policy issue. And if you get sad, then you all need a tissue. But in the meantime, I'm living blissful. Cause my crib is insulated. It's nice, in the wintertime outside is ice Snowy making the whole street look like a wedding cake Outside is white, inside I'm just fine, I'm toasty Temperature, all that, I'm boasting Comedy Central, Martha Stewart, I'm roasting Coasting, from Boulder to Pagosa Springs Colorado to Kinshasa, Congo All around the world, let's go We gotta Underwater, sound is everything. It's how fish and sharks find food and hunt. It's how whales and dolphins echolocate and communicate. Sound can travel four times faster and even further underwater than it does on land. The song of a blue whale can travel up to 1,000 kilometers allowing this rare species to communicate with one another over vast distances. Dolphins and sperm whales can hunt in complete darkness using clicks to echolocate their prey. Without sound they are blind and their world is dark. Right now, fossil fuel giant Woodside is getting ready to seismic blast off the coast of Western Australia. Western Australia is home to one of the world's most diverse cetacean populations. If Woodside's plans go ahead, they will set off extremely loud seismic blasts along this critical migration route for up to 70 days straight. This will affect their ability to communicate, navigate and find each other, impacting migration, feeding and mating patterns for these already threatened species.
Let's stand up for those without a voice and choose Wales, not Woodside. I'd like to add that, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from a space of uh, eco-anxiety or anything where we can just need to get people to experience community because for me, I was also disconnected from community. You know, I, I was in advertising. All of my peers were in advertising, living a good life. So community was something that wasn't really on my radar as a thing that like, why do I need to care about community? But when I started on this journey of discovery, like, okay, where do I fit? And I went to community events. It's like, community is beautiful. Uh, you And so even if you don't experience community out of anything other than wanting to be like, well, I feel a bit lost for whatever reason, that experience will, will take you on a journey that I think people will I'd be hard-pressed to think of anybody that would not find that journey rewarding. So, yeah. so it doesn't have to be out of, out of a place of anxiety or fear. It's just like community is beautiful. Uh, get amongst it, and then you will find that oh, things are better if I'm just part of community. It, and it seems so so simple, but I, I feel it, and that's where I feel it's a rich territory to be in, getting reigniting community spirit. Yep. And there's not just one either. You're part of probably a dozen communities. You know, there's your immediate neighbours, there's your family. That's another community. There's the people who see you each day and smile and wave. They might not be your neighbours, but they're a part of your community. You know that you can talk to them because they're part of them. You know, they're, they're everywhere, your communities. And it, it, it is a lovely thing to have your communities. But what we've got to do, again, to get back to the beginning of the program, is ignite in them the, um, the same enthusiasm that you have for looking after the planet. I, I would, uh, I, just, I, I just want to say I'm totally singing from the same song sheet. And I, I think two, two points. One, Colin, I don't actually think it's that we need to ignite anything. I think it's we need to notice that there are these beautiful embers just need a bit of oxygen and that requires us to listen. I truly, truly don't think there are that many evil people, <laughs> you know, but I think there are people who in our work need to be seen. They need to be seen and heard and feel like they contribute. Um, and I, I think community is the infrastructure for the hopefully nonviolent revolution. You know, it's such an important piece. And echoing Matt's call, get involved and get involved in the way that suits you. You know, at Australia Remade, we've got lots of opportunities for people to come in and participate in the different projects we've got on, particularly around care and disaster at the moment for the next few months. Um, and that those details are on our website. But, you know, welcome. Come and join me. You know, be my community, be my friend. You know, it's it's actually very life affirming to get to do this work. Like, what a time to be alive! There is no shortage of meaning. <laughs> Head off to artdisrupt.com and australiaremade.org. Two places to start, and uh, what a great discussion! And and you've certainly 
triggered something in me that where I begin to feel like, oh, this is amazing. This is there's something there where we really need to step in and be the difference. Yeah, be the difference. That's the mantra. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. Watching